Good morning. Makes you sound old, doesn't it? I still go for runs, all right? Although a little bit slower. See some people here I know. I see uh, Graham and Jess Hodder back there. We met on Noah's Ark. And, uh, and uh, that's a few years ago. But it's great to be with you today. I just love songs that honor Jesus. Amen? And uh, honor the God who so loved us that he gave us Jesus. I became a Christian over 50 years ago. And um, uh, I came from a non-Christian background. I told you that last time I was here. But sometimes you get new people. And uh, you've had preachers and things happen over the last few months. And, um, but I became a Christian 50, over 50 years ago. And uh, one of the things that I, I discovered very, very quickly, even uh, I think I got saved on a Sunday night and Monday morning, I discovered uh, that Jesus is very powerful and very personal. And how did I discover that? Is I used to be very angry and, um, and, uh, and used to blaspheme, and I, I, I used to be angry, very angry. And with that anger came violence. And when I was at work, I would, I would blow my top all the time and, and get very angry. I met with my brothers just recently, uh, the youngest, my youngest brother, uh, turned um, 65, and they thought we better get together again before we all start dying. And uh, my oldest brother, he's about 86, 87. And uh, so we got together, and, um, and uh, there, were, there was four of us, and my sister could not be there. She wasn't well. And uh, we gathered with our wives, and as we gathered there, and uh, one of my brothers said, uh, Kim was the adventurous one. And uh, before I could say anything, one of my other brothers jumped in and says, no, he was the wild one. And, uh, and I said, no, I wasn't. And one of my brothers, the one's older than me, he pulls his shirt up and he shows the scar of where I shot him <laughs> with my hunting bow. And I said, did I do that? He said, yes. But my younger brother then pulls his shirt open and shows the scar up here where I did the same thing to him, all right? Now, I'd like to preface that with the fact that that was before I was saved, all right? And, uh, and so, I, so this is how a family reunion began, began in our family, amen. I don't know how yours began, but uh, my younger brother's wife, who's writing a book about him, he's an architect in the country and just retired, and uh, she used to be uh, headmaster or principal of school and things like that, and she's writing a book, and she was horrified by this because she thought her husband had grown up in a uh, lovely environment, <laughs> learning it wasn't so lovely. But I want to tell you, that sort of attitude, practice, followed me in a lot of areas, and uh, when I became a Christian, uh, Christ not only became personal to me, but he became powerful. And the next day when I was at work and something went wrong, there was a jug of hot water accidentally tipped into my boot. Uh, prior to that Sunday night, I would have acted in a very violent way and I probably would have come up with a descriptive uh, language that would have burnt the ears off the offender. But um, I was amazed myself that I'd lost three quarters of my language. 
And uh, I was more amazed than anybody else because instead of all those descriptive words that some of you know so well uh, coming out, uh, what came out was um, 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 you know. Instead of reacting violently, I found out there was a peace and a grace. And, 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 uh, and I came to know that this Jesus that saves is, is gracious and he's personal and he's powerful. Now, over 50 years and been over 45 years now in the ministry, I've come to know that that grace, amen, isn't just personal to me, but he deposits it in me to carry to others. And that's what he does for all of us. So love one another. I wonder why the Bible says that. Love one another. Well, I guess it's because he first loved us. Amen? And we have the capacity to love one another. But what he did for us individually, he does for us also corporately. That he does love and care for his people. He loves his people. Now, I don't know about your family, but uh, I know my family over the years. We've had challenges and difficulties. And some of the times they never come at the appropriate time. I remember I took over a large church 30 years ago, very, very large church. And uh, extremely large church. And I thought the problems of the church were enough for me to deal with. And, uh, but I took over the church in February 1984. It was known then as Queen Street Assembly of God. And uh, it was in Auckland, and it met in the town hall, and it was very large. And I thought all the problems I had to deal with was enough. I thought God would be gracious and, and save me from other problems. But I then found my father decided to die in March. Now, that was very inconvenient. Not really the right time. I've taken over a major problem in February, and he's dying in March. But anyway, the church prayed, and instead of him dying the night, he was supposed to die in a coma, came out of the coma, and I was able to minister to him for two weeks and lead my father to the Lord. Amen. But then my eldest daughter suddenly ends up having a rare heart problem, and that happened at the same time. But I thought, God, I've got, I'm dealing with... With, with, with this church, with all its problems. Can't you kind of put off my personal stuff for 12 months? Can't you kind of come down in your providential power and go tweak, tweak, tweak? Uh, you know, but life is life. And so we had to deal with my father's death and fly backwards and forwards from Auckland down to Palmerston to go to Levin's War Veterans Home and visit him there and and I remember when he came out of the coma, the first thing he said to me, my father has a bit of my sense of humor, or I have his sense of humor, but when he came out of the coma, he knew I was busy. He had heard that I was, I, I'd taken over a large church with some problems. And he knew I was busy. And this is what he said to me when he came out of his coma. Not good to see your son, and how are you going, and how am I going, or anything like that. He just looked at me and grinned and said, I'm going to have you hanging around for two weeks. You know, in other words, I'm going to make your life interesting. <laughs> you know, and he did. He lasted another two weeks, but it gave us opportunity to lead him to the Lord. And then my daughter had this rare heart problem. We had to move her to a high school near a hospital in Auckland so that if she had an attack, she could be immediately taken to the hospital because the condition she had could have killed her. And then I had a, a, a growth on my face. And... Uh, and prayed about it, but it grew and grew and got difficult. And I had to go into a, into a surgery, and they, 
had to peel my face back and take this growth out, and then I had to have a, a, a you know, bandage put right across my face, and, and then I had to go to church on Sunday, thousands of people meeting in the building there, and you have to try and preach. Try and preach out of your mouth. And, uh, and things like that. Now, I didn't have to, but if you understand stubbornness, you see. And the thing that got me in all this is this. And then I, I got a bit tired. And uh, probably around about June, I, I, I hit three cars in my car. Um, they weren't actually there, Lynn. They weren't where they were. I swear that those parking spaces were empty. But when I backed in, there was apparently another car there. And um, I pulled out of, uh, uh, onto the Queen Street in Auckland. To, and I had the uh, uh, leader of the church from India with me. And I pulled out and I just drove straight into the side of another car. And, uh, and I swore it wasn't there either. And, uh, and, and I had a couple of accidents. And I went to the doctor and, I, and he said, look, you're exhausted. You need to take three months off. I said, I can take three hours. What's your next suggestion? Because, you know, you've you got a problem to sort out. And if it was just the problem, it would be easy. But in the midst of the problem, you have to deal with your personal stuff. Amen? And the grace of God is sufficient. Now, I know some people like the Pollyanna approach. Everything is going to be good and wonderful all the time. But life is life because this world is influenced by sin. And because the world is influenced by sin, we are the light in this world. And we've got to take the bushel of our lives and let that life that Christ has deposited in us really, really shine forth. Speaking at a pastor's conference two weeks ago, and I thought I would start it off very positively because I like to get people's attention. I had all these pastors there, and they wanted some insight that I had on a couple of areas. And, and, uh, and I said, look, I want to start very, very positive. And I said, uh, you're all going to die. And, you know, that, that got their attention because, you know, um, uh, you know, that's not very positive, is it? But I said, I want to start with, you're all going to die. Unless Jesus comes, you're all going to die. Now that we've come up with the, the downside of life, let's work back. What benefits have we got in Jesus? And we start working back from the fact. Now, some people hold a, be a belief that they're not going to die. They kind of carry it around like an illusion that everything is going to be wonderful and Pollyanna all the time and beautiful. But life does throw up hard stuff. Anybody who, who's been around for a few years, and I can see there's a few folk here who have been around for a few years, you know that life throws stuff up. But in the midst of it throwing it up, there's a deposit of God that has been built and established in our life that's authentic and real and enables us to carry through. Now, when I took over that church 30 years ago, it was my fourth church, and, uh, and when I took over that particular church, and I was dealing with all the issues, and all the personal stuff started to, started to go wrong, you just rest in it, and you rest in the fact that, you know, God is God, and He brings us through. Amen. You know, and, uh, and His strength becomes sufficient. And you don't go around like a morbid, defeated person. Jesus is alive, really. I don't have to get emotionally excited here today to tell you that Jesus is alive. But if you want me to dance on the platform, I can. Probably would last longer than Lynn, 
but I could do it. Glory be to God. Amen. Hallelujah. Don't push you. We want to do a little dance here, do we? Glory be to God. I'm into emotion. I'm into excitement. Young people have got more energy than they know what to do with. You've got to wear them out. Hallelujah. But, uh, but uh, you know, excitement. But the fact is, take away the emotion for a moment. The fact is, in our heart of hearts, what do you believe? What do you hold? What do you carry? And Jesus is real. He's authentic. He is strong. He is wonderful. Amen. It's not what I wanted to preach about this morning because I'm going to get on to what I'm going to talk about. <clears throat> there are a lot of people in the Bible I like preaching about. I like preaching about Joshua. I like preaching about Joseph in the Old Testament. I like preaching about Abraham. I like preaching about David. Crumbs, he's a great guy. I like Nehemiah. And uh, certainly like preaching about Peter. Love Paul. And uh, there's a lot of individuals that you can glean from in the Bible and you can talk about. And um, there's one I want to talk about today, and uh, his name is Joseph. There are 11 Josephs in the Bible, but the one that I want to talk about is found in the New Testament, and he's mainly referred to in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Matthew. And uh, the reason I'd like to talk about Joseph this morning during the week when you visit a church and um, you've been working with the leadership in the church on certain issues, you can think about all the things that you can possibly preach about. But this morning, I'd just like to talk uh, to us as individuals within this congregation uh, on a personal level to you. <clears throat> and uh, both as a recipient and as a giver, of kindness and love uh, to other people around you. And um, so I'm, I'm going to read a scripture. Uh, first of all, if you can put your finger in Matthew 1 and 2, we'll come back to that. But before we come back to that, I want to read a scripture in Philippians. And I'm going to read it in two versions. And uh, I'll tell you in the moment what I'm talking about. In Philippians chapter 2, I'm reading NIV, first of all. It says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility... Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. And it goes and talks about Christ being in the very nature of God, taking on the form of, of flesh and living amongst us, dying for us, ascending back to heaven. His attitude of giving himself for the interest of others. But I want to read, and don't be offended by me reading this, it's just a free translation, but I like it, because it puts a bit of spice into this text. And it's Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 5, from the message. It says, If you have gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in the community of the Spirit means anything to you, 
if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way that Jesus Christ thought of himself. You know, there's another verse in the Message Bible which I think encapsulates everything that I've just read there. It's found in Romans 12.10, and it says this, Be good friends who love deeply. Practice plain second fiddle. And I want to talk about being a second fiddle player. I know that as you go back in musical history, you can probably go back and uh, find that uh, uh, way back in Shakespeare's era, when he used to do his performances on the platform, they used to have a fiddler play, and they also had a second fiddle behind the screen. And if the guy out front broke his instrument, the fellow at the back would pick it up, and the other guy would mimic it, and, uh, and uh, he would still get all the honor because there was a second fiddle playing at the back. Second fiddle didn't get the honor, guy at the front. There are other uses. We know some of the great... Uh, Uh, composers and um, conductors over the years refer to the fact of the second fiddle uh, having to play with all energy with other fiddles or violin players and there are musicians here and I'm not going into it but playing second is a very very important part and I want to pick something up here as I've traveled around our nation over many years I am an absolute believer that that we've got to preach a message helping people to identify who they are in Christ, what their gift is in Christ, what they can do in Christ. But in a generation where we can get so focused on me, 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 what I want to do, what God wants of me, we can get so possessed about our own lives, our own ministry, our own future, that uh, we get a little bit over an overemphasis. Take, for instance, a person wants the call of God. I've had people come out and they want to know the call of God, the call of God, the call of God. They want to know what God wants to do with them. They can become extremely obsessed with trying to find out what God wants for them. But as I, I, I look into Scripture, I find that there is also this other bend of us showing interest in others. That scripture I read in Philippians where it says, um, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain consent, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And each of you should not only look to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Hey, listen, folks. We've got to give attention to our interests. There's no problem with that whatsoever. We've got families, we've got jobs, we've got responsibilities. We've got to give attention to our interests. But what this scripture is saying is what Jesus himself said, because this scripture Paul is giving to us is about Jesus. He says, listen, follow his model. He's not only interested in his own interest, but he came to earth, was conceived in the womb of Mary, was born and became a gift to humanity because the Father heart of God the, the, the Son of God agreed that they would not just be focused on their own interests, but they would be focused on the interest of humanity. And this is what gets us. 
We should not just be focused on our own interests. And I believe that the Lord gave me something to share with you today. It's a secret that I find here in Matthew chapter 1 and 2. I love the story of Mary, how she conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit the greatest gift ever given to humanity, to creation. That's the Son of God. Amen? Jesus was conceived supernaturally in the womb of this young girl, and, and, uh, and we see that uh, we follow her life through, and it is incredible how she brought to birth the Son of God, and even at the cross she was there. When the early church was established, she was there. She saw the whole process right through. I love this young lady. I think she was incredible. Something happened to her that, that uh, has never happened before, never happened again, that, that a young lady can be uh, uh, pregnant by the conception of the Holy Spirit. That was a God thing, for a God purpose, for the redemption of humanity. But I, I've often looked at this and I thought, wow, what a wonderful girl. And she carried a wonderful gift. When she conceived in her womb the Lord Jesus Christ, she was carrying a wonderful gift. And when I look out today and lives of young people and older people, I see the wonderful gifts that God has deposited in them. Sometimes as they start to find their freedom and liberty in Christ, their gift comes out of being suppressed to being expressed. As they grow through those education years and they're shaped and knocked around, they begin to discover their gift. And I have heard preachers say, and I agree with it, that we are responsible for our lives. We're responsible for our talents. We're responsible for our time. And sometimes sin and weaknesses knocks us around to the degree that we cannot really flourish because we're standing by ourselves. We're standing alone. But one of the incredible things I see in this story of Mary is God raised up a second fiddle. God raised up somebody who would stand with her to ensure that her gift, her gift was protected. Her gift came to its full fruition. And that man is Joseph. And I'd like us to just read a little bit here. There are three things I want to leave with you today because I believe they are important for us. In Matthew chapter 1, we read verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged, engaged to be married to Joseph within a Jewish setting. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, because Joseph was uh, her husband, her engaged, her fiancé, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly because he's trying to put together how could Mary be pregnant. He's not thinking supernatural. He's not thinking God factor here. He's thinking... He's thinking, what's happened here, all right? And uh, he's trying to wrestle with it because he knows her, but he's a man of integrity. But as he was trying to think of this, this dilemma, we see that verse 20 says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. 
because he will save his people from their sins. Now, I believe that this is a literal story. I don't believe it's just a, a, a nice little Sunday school message with no real literal reality to it. I believe that Mary was literally conceived of the Holy Spirit. I do. I believe that Jesus was born the Son of God incarnate. Amen. I believe that. But there are some lessons behind here that I want to touch on this morning. And it's simply this. is Here is Mary, the carrier of the greatest gift. And I look at individuals here today and in our nation. I look at churches are carriers of gifts. Those gifts develop and grow. And sometimes those gifts can go through difficulty as individuals go through difficulty. And here is a young lady with the greatest gift. Why didn't the Lord just say, Mary, you're a young lady. Take this gift and work it out. No, God raises up a second fiddle. And his name is Joseph. And the thing that I like about this is this guy receives three angelic visitations. We will go through them. And each one of those angelic visitations in a dream weren't about his destiny. In a sense, what are you going to do for the kingdom? What are you going to do for the future? What are you going to do that's great and bright and wonderful? His destiny was to walk alongside this young lady called Mary and to see that her gift is brought to full fruition. To see that she is brought to what God wants. Now, isn't that challenging? Because we live in a society today, what do you got for me, God? What do you got for me, God? I know in every church there are people serving. And people who understand exactly this message that I'm talking about today. But I feel very strongly just to share this with you. So here we have Mary, and she's vulnerable. And the first thing that God wants to do is he wants to uh, establish more clearly uh, somebody in a committed relationship with her. Now, Joseph is there. He's engaged to her. The relationship is moving towards marriage and that final commitment. And you'll find in each of these angelic visitations that Joseph has, the Lord tells him to take Mary, to take Mary and her gift. And here on this first gift, he says, the angel says to Joseph, Joseph, I want you to take Mary as your wife. I know there are problems. I know there are challenges. I know there are difficulties. I know there are things spinning around your brain. I know that the community is a little bit uh, um, uh, critical of her pregnancy. I know you'll have to bear that reproach. I know there's a whole stack of social stuff that you're going to have to carry. But I'm telling you that that young lady is carrying a gift that is going to transform humanity. Individually, people here today carry gifts. There are folk here today in congregations like this throughout our country who recognize young people that carry gifts. Phenomenal gifts. One of the things I always find interesting is you get a bunch of young people, because I, I remember coming from this category myself, but... Uh, my wife just recently wanted to, uh, was at work, and they said, where did you meet your husband? And she says, I met him when he turned up at church in Lower Hutt with a pair of shorts on. Can you remember this, Graham? I probably rattled a bit of your brain. Uh, I would have shorts literally falling off me. I, 
I used to wear clothes until they disintegrated. And I had a pair of boots and I had a black singlet. And I turned up at church in Lower Hut. And she had already put me on the bottom of her man list. All right? And, uh, and that's how I turned up. And I said to her, I says, do you know that I have a photo uh, of me dressed like that? And she says, do you really? And I says, yeah. I says, when, when you met me, and, and, uh, and I want to tell you, folk, I, I, I did it. I went away into my drawer, and I dragged out this photograph, and, and, um, and uh, the, you know, it's true. I'm verifying it. That's how I turned up in church and met my wife for the first time. Amen. That is a citron. All right? <laughs> yeah. I'll have to show you this. You, got it, you, got it. you weren't like this. He was a lot better than that. Amen. You wouldn't have anything to do with a guy like that, would you? No way in the world. No, no, no. Cover that one. All right. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, that was that's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, you, you know, you come and you come to church and things like that, and um, you start to build relationships in the church, and um, you have a gift, you have a calling to God, but you're rough. Boy, are you rough. You're in a young people's group, but you've got these young guys have been young girls have been in the youth group for a long period of time, and they're coming up in the church and things like that, and you're there and you're rough. And, uh, and you start to have a bit of personality and a bit of charisma, and they start to get jealous of you. And uh, instead of trying to build a relationship to protect you, uh, they just don't like you because you've got a bit of a rough edge. And you start to come under pressure and start to have a bit of a rough time. And, uh, but you know what Jesus would have said? He said, if somebody's coming up, if somebody's in the church, somebody's in the youth group, somebody's in a group, and, uh, and they're newly saved, and they're a little bit out there. Uh, you need to build a relationship with them. And this is what Joseph had to face. You see, Mary is pregnant. He can't figure it out. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of difficulties. He says, look, I think I'll put her away. I think I'll separate from this. This isn't my thing. This isn't what I should be. But God is speaking and saying, hey, listen, I want you to marry her and become committed to her because what she's carrying one day is going to have an influence on the world. Amen? And what I like to say here today is that for those who are mature, there are people you are going to have to build relationship. There are people you're going to have to disciple. The young men and young women that are coming up. And they might not kind of appeal to you because there's just something wrong. But God says they're carrying something and they need to be molded and made. But they cannot be molded and they cannot be made unless relationship is built. And you must take them, take them into a committed relationship. Now, we don't like to do that sometimes, do we? I'm not saying you go out there and say, look, I've got to take these 50 people into relationship with me. But God brings people across our paths. And we have got to take a step of commitment and relationship to them. They might be rough. They might have some deficits. But somewhere along the line, the gift that they carry is going to bless others. Amen? And I, I say to you as a congregation today, as individuals today, that there, there is, there are people, individuals. Amen? And you might think, well, 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 they're a bit rough. 
I'll tell you, this world in New Zealand and Australia is being transformed by rough individuals. I know them. I know Brian Houston. I know him. I knew him. I knew him. I know pastors around our nation, the world. And I know that they cause many people a pain, a great pain. But somebody invested in them. I caused great pain. The second scripture here that I want to touch on is found in chapter 2. And in chapter 2 of Matthew, and this is where I want to just explain this. Jesus is born. Mary and Joseph and uh, the babe, Bethlehem, they're living in a house at this time. They've moved into a house and uh, the three magi turn up after being guided. And, uh, and then an angel in verse 13, it says, When they had gone, the Magi had moved on after bestowing their gifts. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and says, Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Here again, it's the second fiddle. It's Joseph that's receiving the directive, not Mary. Mary's carrying the gift. She's carrying the gift Jesus. We carry gifts. And, uh, and he's telling Joseph to come alongside this, this Mary, this gift carrier, who he's built a relationship with. You cannot walk along someone if you haven't built a relationship. I became a Christian under the ministry of Frank Houston, father of Brian Houston, 1962 in a, in a tent in Hara. And uh, only found out 30 years later that my sister committed her life to Christ at the other end, end of town in a Presbyterian church on the same day and the same town. Amen. And that was funny because I baptized her 30 years later and that's when I found out that we both committed our life to Christ in the same town, the same day, the same time, and, uh, and I never knew about it <clears throat> for 30 years. Um, I, I'm into getting relationships sorted out. Okay? Okay. And uh, we've worked on that. But here, 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 here we have um, Joseph is told to take Mary and to protect her from death. And one of the things that we have to do in the body of Christ, we do it amongst young people, we do it amongst ourselves, is when a person uh, is carrying something precious, the devil targets them. When a church carries something tremendous, the devil targets it. And there's no better time to target something to destroy it uh, than when it becomes vulnerable. But I tell you, God's got protectors. Protectors for individuals. Protectors for the body of Christ. Oversight. People who can speak and guide and bring counsel and wisdom to protect. God has a purpose for this church because it carries a gift. Are you with me there? It will be protected. It will be protected. Because it's got a future and a destiny. Individuals have a future and a destiny. What do we protect by? 
Joseph takes Mary to protect her against Herod, who's a type of the devil who wants to kill. He's jealous. He wants to destroy this gift coming to its full fruition. And so God speaks to Joseph and says, take her out of that environment. Take her and protect her. We need protection from all sorts of things. One of the things I end up doing a lot is I travel around, I meet with pastors and oversights and teams in New Zealand and overseas. And sometimes something, some danger is lurking on the horizon. Might be a financial, might be a moral, might be just some problems. And, and the pastors are, are trying to pull it together. And in come some folk and just give words of wisdom. And in that wisdom, in that counsel, protection is given. I remember when I went through Bible school in 1967, I was still a little rough, and Frank Houston was the director of the Bible school. And, um, and uh, I was still running my work. I was building houses and, and uh, uh, working with a, a friend of mine back then, a gentleman by the name of Laurie Hennessy. We were building houses together and things like that. And I was going through Bible school at the same time. And, uh, but they never used to feed us well. And, uh, and uh, in those days, in that Bible school, they used to have demerit cards that if you caused problems, you accumulated demerit cards. And uh, you wouldn't do it today because young people wouldn't tolerate it. But back then, you, I got, you know, I couldn't leave the campus. I had to stay there. And I uh, got confined to the campus of the Bible school. So I, I, I then got, um, I got hungry because they didn't feed us well. So one night, I slipped out went over the bridge at Lower Hutt and went into a restaurant and, uh, and had a great steak meal. I thought I could slip back in uh, without getting caught. But anyway, as I came down out of the restaurant, just walked out the door, Frank Houston drove past in his car and he just stared at me. And, uh, and so from that moment to I know that when I was going to be caught into his office next day, um, I started going through a a sanctified building up of anger and uh, justification. Now remember, this is I'm a Christian, born again, so you've got to do it in a sanctified way. And so I'm doing it properly. And so uh, through the night and through the next morning when I was at work and coming up, I knew that when I got at the Bible school at 12, about 1 o'clock I'm going to be caught into his office. So I'm building myself up. I'm going to explode. I'm going to tell him what to do with his Bible school and everything else in sanctified language. Okay? Because I'm a Christian. You see? see? You've got to do it properly when you're a Christian. doesn't mean it's right, but you've got to do it. And so I'm going from a firecracker up to a sixpenny banger, we used to call him you know, up to a stick of dynamite, you know, and I'm hitting a thousand pound bomb. And by the time I've got next day, I'm, I've hit atomic explosives. I mean, my emotions, my clarity of thought is ready to explode, I tell you. And by the time I get to his office, I am nuclear. I am nuclear. I mean, I just, you, you, anyone been there? Yeah, you know how to build it up, but it's sanctified because you're a Christian. Good stuff, you know. You got that scripture. Be angry and sin not. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can cover it with that one. Amen. Oh, you know, Jesus went into the temple with a whip and whipped them. Oh, I can cover it. Oh, boy, I've got justification. Jesus, you know, he got angry. And Paul said, get angry and sin not. I'm not, I'm not sinning. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, when I got in his office, I mightn't have sinned to that point, but I was about to sin. <laughs> I was about to tell him, 
stuff. Anyway, I get into his office. Nuclear. Anyone been there? All right. And I'm nuclear, and I'm in his office, and, and he looks at me, and, he, and I know that what other people I found when I spoke at his 50th celebration 10 years ago, I said, you know, you wanted to expel me from Bible college. And he says, no, no, the other people did. They wanted to do it. I says, once. He said, no, 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 three times. I said, really? So I'm in his office, young fella, rough. Don't like anybody telling me what to do. Delivered of anger, delivered of blasphemous tongue. But I've still got a holy attitude. <laughs> I'm not going to let anyone tell me what to do, you know. But he looked at it and he said to this me years later, he said, I knew you carried something. I wasn't going to let you off, but I wanted to protect you. So when I go into his office, I'm nuclear. I'm explosive. He says, Cam, sit down, have a seat. I suddenly dropped down to atomic. And he said, and how are the outreaches going? I was running Midnight Rescue Crusade and Open Airs and, and Youth Ministry. And he said, Nidal, how's it going? What about those kids that got saved the other day? How are you doing it amongst the gangs? I was working amongst the gangs. And everything like that. So I've gone from nuclear to a thousand pounder. And then I've gone, and then, and then I've gone down to a stick of dynamite. And, and, and then I'm down to a firecracker. And then I'm down to a match. And then the match is burnt out. And I remember he looks at me and he says, now about last night. <laughs> uh, I don't know what we're meant to protect people from. But one thing I learned as I read this Joseph story is, first of all, he built a relationship. And Frank Houston had built a relationship with me, taking the initiative. He knew I was rough. He knew I was difficult. He knew that in the Bible school, I should not have been there. He found ways. They didn't compromise the discipline, but they found ways. And in the course of time, he knew how to diffuse me. So what was he doing? He was protecting me at that stage from myself. Because he knew the greatest enemy that I had that could destroy me was myself. Now, years later, as you grow in the ministry and things like that, other things come along. I have a great sermon I love to preach to pastors. It's called Entering the Dumb Zone. <clears throat> Based on the 42 kings of Israel, nine of them did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Have you, how many of you read that? Nine of the kings did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Except when I studied the whole nine, I found out at the end of their reigns, they all did something stupid. So I called it Entering the Dumb Zone. And so you've, I've found pastors and leaders somewhere between 55 and 60 do dumb things. Not all of them. Thank God, not all of them. But the temptation to enter into the dumb zone. So sometimes I go into a church and I see and sense and smell the rise of the atmosphere of dumbness. <laughs> Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's a sense of pride. Maybe there's familiarity and boredom. And you sense dumbness about to happen. And in the wisdom, you start to talk in it and around it and everything to diffuse it because you're protecting them from disaster. Amen? And so we cannot play second fiddle unless we build a relationship. The third thing I'd like to... Close on here is found in chapter Matthew chapter 2 and verse 19. And so Jesus, with his parents, his stepfather and his mother, 
are in Egypt. And it says in verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, take the child. What I like about each of these angelic stories is the word take comes up. And the word take is simply that we want you to join yourself to. We want you to accept responsibility. We want you to acknowledge that this is your responsibility. And he is saying to him, I want you to take the mother and the gift. And I want you to take them back to Israel. I want to end it up back at Nazareth, and I want you to go there. And I want you to put the time and the energy into bringing the gift to its full fruition. We don't know when Joseph went off the scene. It would have been after Jesus was 12, obviously before he was 30. But somewhere between Jesus uh, going to Jerusalem and his mother Mary and Joseph going with them, somewhere after that he went off the scene. And, um, and he's gone. But um, he brings Jesus into full fruition of his ministry. And I think this is something I'd just like to leave with you today. Is there are people around us, the church, as I said at the beginning, we can go through difficulties, we can go through challenges. Let's not focus on them. Let's just focus on what we can do for those around about us. Let us focus on that the church, amen, has purpose and destiny. The church is a gift. It's a gift to the community. It's a gift to the nations. The church is a gift. There are people next to you. They are gifts. They might not be at this stage, everything you would desire. But the Lord speaks to you as he spoke to Joseph, and he says, take her. Take the relationship into a commitment. Take it into a greater level and build a relationship, not imposing on them, not dictating to them, not ruling them, but build a relationship. And relationships aren't mechanical. Relationships are hard. Relationships are concerned. Relationships are built in all sorts of strange ways. We built relationships. But we share our heart and our life. And he shared his heart and life with Mary. And then out of that relationship, when the devil wanted to destroy the gift, Joseph was there. God said, protect the mother. Protect the gift. That gift has got a destiny in the future. And there are people in this congregation and there are people that you touch who have a gift. Sometimes a person has to go through a bit of pain and a bit of difficulty. We can't solve everybody's problems, but if we have a relationship, we can stand there and be there. And we can help them. And then we partner with them. And we bring them into an environment. And we see that they are developed. We see they are discipled. We see that they are prepared in the Word of God. We see that they are brought to the place where they, their gift, become beneficial to the body of Christ. That story is in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's similar. Jonathan recognized David when he killed Goliath and he came up and he built a relationship with him. He took his tunic off and he took his belt and so forth and he committed. He said, I will make a covenant with you, David, to be your friend. A little bit later, when Jonathan experienced the fact that um, uh, um, his father hated David and wanted to kill David, it was Jonathan that went out into the field and said, look, my father wants to kill you and I'm in a very difficult position, but I'm going to protect you. And then a little bit later, he meets David again in the field. And Jonathan, he's the king's son. He is the rightful heir to the throne. David is a lunch boy that has had a bit of success. 
He's killed a giant and he's led a few battles, but he is still a lunch boy who has been successful. Jonathan is the son of the king. And Jonathan is talking to David out in the field. And he says, listen, I know God's got his, his anointing and his touch on your life. You are gifted, David. And when you become king of Israel, what a saying. How could Jonathan, the rightful heir to the throne, look at David and said, when you become king of Israel, I will be second to you. If you want to see one of the great second fiddle scriptures in scripture, you look at that one on Jonathan's conversation with David. He was the rightful heir, but he recognized the touch of God on someone's life. Recognize the touch of God on people around about you. People that God has, has, has put something in them. The frame, the personality might be a bit rough, but there's a touch of God. And I can see young men and young women and people today serving Christ in our nation that people would have just cast aside. But it's not them standing on their own feet. We say, let them stand. If they have got it, let them stand. Let them stand up. Let them be who they are meant to be. Will you show me that in Scripture? Jesus could have said to humanity, just be who you're going to be. But he didn't. He came down and identified humanity and walked with humanity. Amen. To redeem humanity. He played incense, a second fiddle to a sinful humanity to bring them to the work that he was to do on the cross. And Joseph was raised up for one particular reason. And that was to protect a great gift that was going to touch the world. How many people have heard the story of Dr. Yongi Cho, the large church in Korea, when this, Buddha, this Christian lady came to when he was a Buddhist and he's in the hospital and she came and visited him and visited him and visited him and visited him and preached to him and preached to him and preached to him. And one day he got converted. He ne he, he's never found that lady. He never found her. But just imagine when we get into heaven one day, this lady who just played second fiddle, she saw something in this Buddhist man and he came to Christ and he's brought millions to the Lord. Amen. And got a great church. Where did that come from? It came from somebody playing second fiddle. If, and this is where I'd like to finish, if you do what God wants you to do, building relationships with people around about you, having a real genuine interest in their welfare and their future, and walking with them and partnering with them and protecting them to see that the things that could destroy them and their gift, if you can walk with someone, I want to assure you, I want to assure you that God will see you come to the full fruition of your gift. Amen. Because that's the nature of love. Amen? Amen. I want to pray this morning. I don't know if there are any people here who just visited and, and they don't know the, the love of God that's been shown to us in Jesus. And uh, maybe there's someone here this morning. And uh, you've never given your life to Christ. And um, you've never asked him to become personal to you. Maybe somebody's brought you along and they're a friend. They're walking with you. Remember the person who walked with me? It was an old fellow by the name of Jim Hennessy. Lived around the corner from me. His son, Laurie Hennessy, a friend of mine. 
And he showed me so much love, it just overwhelmed me one day. And he said, come to a meeting. I went to a meeting. At that meeting, I heard a preacher and didn't have a clue what he was talking about. But you sense the love, you sense the acceptance, and you respond. And you're born again. Maybe someone this morning here in that category. If you're all Christians, that's fine. It would be amiss of me not to give a challenge for some young man, some young woman, some older person this morning who just turned up here and you want to give your life to Christ or maybe you just screwed up your life and you want to get it back on track again. You want to say, God, forgive me. I want to be part of what you're doing today. Amen. But also here this morning, if we could all just stand at this point and I'll give a challenge for those who maybe want to receive Christ just in a moment, but there are others here this morning and maybe... As I said at the beginning of the service, you've got all these things happening around you. Like I said, I went into a church and I had a huge amount of problems to deal with. But then I also had to deal with personal issues, personal conflicts, family conflicts, issues like that. And you kind of think, wow, am I going to survive? And um, I think I can quote the Apostle Paul, you know. He said, you know... I've been overwhelmed by lots of things. I've done lots of things. But I am what I am by the grace of God. I, I, I am able to stand, not on my own strength, but because of what Jesus has done for me and deposited into my heart and my life by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm exhausted mentally. I'm exhausted emotionally. I'm in, confused mentally. But I want to tell you, just rest for a moment. Just rest for a moment here. Just, just rest. Just rest. Hey, listen, stuff will go on. My brain will go into supersonic speed. Thoughts will bounce off the synaptics here, there, and everywhere. Stuff will go on in my heart and in my life. But right now, what Pastor Kim has said today is that Jesus, Jesus is real. But I'd like to add to that that you do have friends. I'm not talking about intrusion. I'm not talking about, you know, ultra-shepherding where you've got to confess everything. I'm not talking that stuff. I'm talking about relationships of support and love and care. Building relationship with people around you. Being open to building relationship. And I've learned that sometimes the problems that we face can be remedied by showing love to others when we don't want to show love. And showing concern for others that we feel we don't have the resources to show concern. And so what I'm saying here today, folk, is everything's okay for you. And everything is okay for the church, even though issues are being worked through and dealt with. Jesus is still on the throne. He loves his people. He loves you. But he wants you to also engage. And I think when Mary conceived Jesus in her womb, the Lord says, I need a second fiddle to walk with her, to build a relationship that will lead into protection, that will lead into development, that he will come to his full fruition. We need one another. So be brave enough to reach out and to be brave enough to allow people to reach in and support. I'm not talking wish-washy mumbo-jumbo. I'm talking just human, spiritual, caring connection. Amen.
Is there anyone this morning who says, look, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, or I want to come back to the Lord? Just give me a wave with your hand, and I'm just going to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything. I just want to see if there's anyone here this morning to pray for. Maybe everybody's a Christian today. Everybody's right with God. Quite often that's the occasion. Is there anyone this morning who wants to say yes to Jesus? Just give me a wave. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to see you and pray for you this morning. Anyone? Any young man, young woman want to give their life to Jesus? All right, now I just want to pray before I hand back to, for, for us as a congregation and individuals. Father, we just thank you today for everything you've done. We thank you for the dynamic of your spirit. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for the way you, you move in people's lives, the, the encounters that we have, the freedoms that break loose in our life, the sin chains that are broken, the tentacles that are unwoven from our hearts and our lives because of the power of your grace and the power of your cross. We thank you for what you have done in our lives. We are so appreciative. But Lord, we thank you also that what you have done in our lives, you have done so that we might become reciprocals, deposits in our hearts of your love and your power that we might freely connect with others. Give us the capacity to connect and give us the capacity to receive spiritual connection from others that's powerful and meaningful in Jesus' name. Father, that our gift and the gift of others may be preserved, may be protected, and may be brought to fruition. Lord, help us not to be driven by jealousies and pride and arrogance, but to be driven by servanthood, love, and care, that others attain their destiny and their calling. In Jesus' name, amen.